Hello, this is Snigdha from Newslaundry.com bringing you your daily dose of news. Today is Monday, the 27th of July. The worsening COVID crisis in the country saw the biggest spike in number of cases today. India reported an increase of nearly 50,000 cases, bringing the total tally to 14.4 lakh. Among all the states, Maharashtra continues to remain the worst hit with over 3,75,000 confirmed cases. On the upside, however, more than 36,000 people have recovered from COVID-19 in a day, pushing India's recovery rate to 63.92%. In some other good news, a team of researchers from Israel arrived in India today to take forward their work with India's Defence Research and Development Organisation, or DRDO, to develop a rapid testing kit for COVID-19, which can give results within 30 seconds. The team comprises of members from Israel's Directorate of Defence Research and Development. The team will be conducting a series of final stages of testing to determine the effectiveness of a number of rapid diagnostic solutions. Amid the rising COVID cases in Meghalaya, Shillong today underwent a lockdown for 72 hours. The lockdown was announced after 56 new cases of COVID-19 were reported in the last two days. Of these, 37 are armed forces personnel, including 23 troopers from the BSF. In Kerala's Kasaragod district, 43 wedding guests tested positive for COVID-19. The wedding, which took place on the 17th of July, had around 125 attendees. Of these, 43 guests and both the bride and groom tested positive. In wake of the incident, police have filed a case against the father of the bride under the Kerala Epidemic Diseases Ordinance 2020. Under the ordinance, only 50 people can attend a wedding and those found in violation can face imprisonment up to two years. In Uttar Pradesh's Prayagraj or Allahabad, a 57-year-old COVID-positive patient was found dead among the bushes barely 500 metres away from the government hospital he walked out of yesterday. The patient's daughter has alleged that her father was mistreated by the hospital staff and not given proper medical attention. The hospital, however, has denied all the allegations. There has been no respite for the people of Bihar and Assam. Five more deaths have been reported, taking the flood-related toll in Assam to 102, with another 26 people dying in landslides triggered by rainfall. In Bihar, 10 deaths have been confirmed so far. An estimated 40 lakh people have been affected in the two states due to floods. Naugao, Morigao, Dhubri, Barpeta and Golpara are among the worst affected districts in Assam, with Golpara being the worst hit so far, with over 4.7 lakh affected people. According to the Daily Flood Bulletin by the Assam State Disaster Management Authority, 23 districts are still affected, impacting nearly 25 lakh people. Almost 46,000 people have taken shelter in 269 government relief camps. The overall flood situation, however, improved on Sunday as water levels of all the major rivers began receding. The situation in Bihar, however, continues to deteriorate with the water level of the Ganga River breaching the danger mark at Kalagao in Bhagalpur. According to the state's Disaster Management Department, over 15 lakh people have been affected and nearly 1.4 lakh have been evacuated as 625 panchayats were marooned. According to the department, Darbhanga is the worst-hit district with over 5 lakh people either displaced or trapped inside their homes. 17 teams of the NDRF and 8 of the SDRF are involved in rescue operations in Bihar. Indian Air Force helicopters have dropped food packets in several flood-hit areas. After a long wait, the first batch of Rafale jets has left France and are set to touch base in India on the 29th of July. 
The jets will land in Ambala and will be inducted in the Indian Air Force's first Rafale squadron nicknamed the Golden Arrows. Interestingly, the fighter jets will be deployed within a week of their arrival. The move, in all likelihood, is a consequence of the ongoing tensions between India and China along the line of actual control. Last year, in November, a bench comprising of the outgoing Chief Justice of India, Ranjan Gogoi, had rejected requests to review its clean chit to the government in the Rafale fighter jet deal with the French firm Dassault Aviation. The bench said that there was no need for a roving inquiry into the case. The decision by the Supreme Court had provided a major relief to the government. The 58,000 crore deal had caused a major controversy in India when the opposition had claimed that the deal has cost India thrice the amount it was supposed to and that Anil Ambani's company was favoured by the government and was unfairly chosen as a partner in the deal. In the latest update on the never-ending political saga in Rajasthan, a three-judge bench of the Supreme Court, led by Justice Arun Mishra today, allowed Rajasthan Assembly Speaker C.P. Joshi to withdraw his petition. The Speaker in his petition had challenged the State High Court's interference in the disqualification proceedings against former Deputy Chief Minister Sachin Pilot and 18 other breakaway Congress legislators. Lawyers for the Speaker Kapil Sibyl and Sunil Fernandez told the Apex Court that they had been instructed by their client to withdraw the case. Earlier, the Rajasthan Court had passed a detailed order effectively deferring disqualification actions against Pilot and other dissident Congress MLAs for an indefinite period. Following this, last Thursday, the Supreme Court had refused to stay the High Court proceedings as requested by the Speaker. The top court had observed that the voice of dissent cannot be suppressed in a democracy. On the 14th of July, the Congress Party had dropped Pilot from the Rajasthan Cabinet and had also removed him from the post of the party's state unit head after he skipped a party meeting for the second time in two days. After the bench said that they had no problem with the Speaker's plea to withdraw the petition, Sibyl withdrew the petition on behalf of the Speaker's office with the liberty to file a fresh appeal and keep all grounds open. Omar Abdullah today said that he will not be contesting any Assembly elections. In a piece he wrote for the Indian Express today, the ex-Chief Minister of the erstwhile state of Jammu and Kashmir expressed his angst against the centre's move to bifurcate the state of Jammu and Kashmir into two union territories. He began the piece by expressing that it was impossible to come to terms with what he saw on television on the morning of 5th of August 2019. He stated that in the hours earlier to the move, at the stroke of midnight, he had been placed under house arrest and that the powers that should have been vested with the legislator and a popularly elected government were usurped by the nominated representative of the union government. In the scathing piece, he wrote, and I quote, The Parliament of India spent less than a day each in the Lok Sabha and the Rajya Sabha to change more than 70 years of history, to undo the sovereign commitments made to the people of Jammu and Kashmir and to dismember the state. Unquote. Saying that to this day, he fails to understand the need for this move except to punish and humiliate the people of the state. He argued that, and I quote again, if the reason for carving out a separate union territory for Ladakh was the public demand amongst the Buddhist population of the area, then the demand for a separate state for the people of Jammu is a much older demand. If the demand was conceded on religious grounds, then it ignored the fact that Leh and Kargil districts, which together make up the union territory of Ladakh, are Muslim majority and the people of Kargil are vehemently opposed to the idea of being separated from Jammu and Kashmir." Unquote. He summed up the piece stating that he was very clear that as long as Jammu and Kashmir remains a union territory, he will not be contesting any assembly elections. 
He said that having been a member of the most empowered assembly in the land and that too as the leader of the assembly for six years, he simply could not and would not be a member of a house that had been disempowered the way assembly of Jammu and Kashmir was. There are a series of relevant and really interesting pieces by Ryan Nakash on Newslaundry.com that talk about the state of media in Kashmir. Media that is not free from the pulse of businesses that bring it revenue and ads cannot be truly independent. News Laundry, on the other hand, is an ad-free, reader-supported news and media critique platform. We completely depend on people who understand the role of independent media organizations in a healthy democracy. We have a bunch of interesting interviews, podcasts and ground reports on our website, so do go through them and show us your support by hitting that subscribe button on the top right corner of the website. Thank you in advance. The Environment Minister Prakash Jaurikar on Sunday termed the suggestions by Jairam Ramesh on the contentious draft EIA notification 2020 as unfounded and based on misinterpretation. The comments come a day after senior Congress leader and chairman of the Standing Committee on Science and Technology, Environment, Forests and Climate Change, Jairam Ramesh, raised strong objections to the draft Environmental Impact Assessment or EIA notification. The draft EIA notification was issued by the Environment Ministry in March this year and public suggestions were invited. Jairam Ramesh, in a letter to Jaurikar and marked to the Vice President and Rajya Sabha Chairman M. Venkaya Naidu, had said that he opposed the notification on various grounds, including that it was not based on any research and reflected a mindset that sees environmental regulation as an unnecessary burden and not as an essential obligation to be met for the health and welfare of our people. He further stated that the notification by allowing for post-facto approvals went against the very principle of assessment. In addition, by lessening the notice period for public hearings and doing away with them for a large category of projects, the notification reduces public participation. He also stated that the notification has provisions that will routinely legitimize illegality. And now for some international updates. The number of coronavirus infections has hit 16.2 million worldwide, while the number of people who have died of the pandemic is nearing 650,000. The US vaccine maker Moderna has said that it will receive up to $472 million in additional funding from the federal government to help pay for a late-stage clinical trial of the company's coronavirus vaccine, which is expected to begin enrolling patients from today. Vietnam, meanwhile, has ordered the evacuation of at least 80,000 tourists from the central city of Da Nang following the re-emergence of the virus. The government said it needs four days to implement the evacuation. Philippines President Rodrigo Duterte is set to deliver his annual address to the nation, having consolidated his power with a firm grip over the Congress and a majority in the Supreme Court, but under mounting pressure over his handling of the pandemic. With 23 months left for his six-year term to end, Duterte has been thrust into a national emergency. Analysts say that he is trying to make up for his lack of a clear policy to address the health and economic crisis caused by the pandemic by resorting to the same law enforcement approach he wielded with deadly consequences in his war on drugs. The United States consulate in Chengdu, China was closed with the lowering of the American flag. This came after Beijing ordered U.S. officials to vacate their premises within 72 hours. The Chinese order was issued on July 24th in retaliation to a U.S. order to close the Chinese consulate in Houston, Texas. There was a festive atmosphere outside the consulate almost as soon as Beijing issued orders for the U.S. officials to leave. The side streets as well as a main road leading to the consulate were cordoned off with dozens of police personnel guarding the intersections. 
but people continued to linger at the intersection with many coming from far off places in China to take photos, videos and selfies. China said that it had taken possession of the US consulate in Chengdu. The consulate closures are a sharp escalation of the dispute between the two countries. Amid the growing Chinese movement in the South China Sea, Vietnam has agreed to pay around a billion dollars to two international companies after cancelling their drill operations following pressure from Beijing. To maintain its presence in the South China Sea region, China for several years continued its efforts to prevent the Vietnam-based companies from developing oil and gas resources in the area. Tens of thousands of demonstrators rallied for the third straight weekend in Khabarovsk in Russia's Far East. The outpouring of anger fueled by the arrest of a popular governor has little precedent in modern Russia. It highlights the discontent that the president Vladimir Putin now faces across the country. Protesters could be heard chanting freedom and Putin resign. Putin had won a tightly scripted referendum less than 4 weeks ago that rewrote the constitution to allow him to stay in office until 2036. But the vote seen as fraudulent by critics and many analysts provided little relief for public disenchantment with corruption, stifled freedom and stagnant incomes made worse by the pandemic. Across Russia, the fear of being detained by the police and the seeming hopelessness of effecting change has largely kept people off the streets. Many Russians also say that whatever Putin's faults, the alternative could be worse or lead to greater chaos. That's all for today. Have a great day or a good night depending on where you're listening from. See you tomorrow. All the News Laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes and any other podcast platform. Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent. To catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs and sport, visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to our YouTube channel. 